Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We do indeed have a lot to be thankful for. We don't want to be prideful in thinking that we deserve it. We are humbled at your goodness to us. And Father, there's something in us telling us that we cannot be what we are on our own as much as we might try. We are indebted to you. Father, we want to worship you because of that. You are God and there is no other. We are man that you have made and we need you. We ask God that today you would help us to understand that as well as we ever have. Help us to be a people who know that our sins separate us from you, but your son Jesus has died to forgive us of our sins. When one believes that, they are right with you. And help us, God, to be strengthened in that, we ask. God, we ask your blessing now on the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're at. It's where we were last week. It's where we're <clears throat> going to be for a while. Last week we looked at the first three verses where Peter says that if you have been born again, you put away some things. Put away your sinfulness. And it's time to grow up. A much needed message for, for myself and I hope for you. It's time to put away our sinfulness. It's time to grow up. That's what it says at the beginning of 1 Peter 2. Now today we will start at verse 10 and we will go all the way, uh, sorry, we'll start at verse 4 and we will go all the way through verse 10. And as you have already seen, if you've been here, 1 Peter is a loaded book, very rich, very deep and thorough. A lot of commas in 1 Peter because every time he says something, he thinks he needs to qualify it yet more and explain it. He wants us to know God. Our passage today, though, is going to now lift, push, encourage those who are the people of God. He has, he has just told them to put away their sins and to grow up into maturity. And, and sometimes that comes as a harsh word that we need to hear. But sometimes it's like, yes, that's exactly what I need to do. It's time for me to get with it. There's some changes I need to make, and we talked about that last week. And verse 4 begins with him saying, now let's do it, let's go. And in him saying, let's go to the believers, to the children of God, they receive that as a very much needed, encouraging word. And he does that by emphasizing in several different ways how what Christianity is, is the work of God in people's lives. Yes, these five people that just got baptized today have decided that they want to be Christians and that they want to be baptized. I hope you will decide that too if you've never been baptized. But at the same time, what them being baptized is saying is that God is doing something. God is at work in their hearts and lives. And only time will tell if that's the case. But those of you that are really close to them, the family members and the friends, should be able to observe already whether it looks like God is changing them. They are different. God's at work in them. And Peter is going to talk about this in 1 Peter chapter 2 about how God's the one that does that. And God being the one doing that then 
quickly puts a divide in, in, in the world that there are two different types of people. Those who are close to God and those who aren't. Those who are saved from their sins and those who have not yet been saved from their sins. It is true that every human being is either of God or not of God. It is true that every person is either a Christian or not a Christian. There are truly only two types of people in the world. The difference maker in all of that, listen to me, is your perspective, your faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Folks, all of our eternities hang on Jesus. That's not a popular message these days. But that is the truth from the beginning of creation until it ends. Who Jesus is to you is what will determine whether you go to heaven forever with God or go to hell forever without God. And 1 Peter 2 is about that. It's that real. It's that serious. Well, if it's all about Jesus, then that would mean that whichever side you're on makes a huge difference on whether you like Him or you don't like Him. And 1 Peter gets to this. As most of you all know, today is Selection Sunday, if you're a college basketball fan. Basketball's been going on since November. We have now been through five months of college basketball, and it's been fantastic. And yet all of those games, 30, what, 33 games for some teams, have been played, and it all comes down to today. And tonight, at 6 o'clock... This committee of people will announce on television what they think are the top 68 teams. And those 68 teams will be placed into a bracket. And over the next three weeks, we will go from 68 teams to one team. And we'll have a national champion on Monday, April the 6th. But it'll come out of 68. Many people would say that this selection Sunday is awesome. I can't wait to see what seeds Kentucky and Louisville and North Carolina are going to get tonight. We can't wait. We can't wait to see what region they're in and who they play and who's got the hard path or the easy path. That's coming up. We would say this is an awesome time of year. Can't wait to watch that tonight, and many of you will. Most college basketball fans say this is awesome. But you know, some people don't. Some people don't like it. If Indiana gets left out, they're not going to like it. There are teams that they say are on the bubble, meaning you're not sure if they're going to get in or not. They're on the bubble, which means that they won't know until tonight whether they're picked to be in the tournament or whether they're left out. And can you imagine that the, the March Madness starts this week? There'll be four games on Tuesday. And then 16 games on Thursday, 16 games on Friday, 8 more games on Saturday, and 8 more games on Sunday. Do you realize that we're going to have 52 games before the next time we're together? This is awesome. If you're not in that, that would stink. The whole world's going to be talking about it. Listen to this. 
there are going to be on the online bracket thing an estimated 100 million brackets filled out online. And there will be $9 billion waged on the March Madness brackets this year. $9 billion. This is a big deal. And there are some people who won't be involved. There are some teams that aren't going to be invited. There are some teams that are going to have their whole team gathered tonight watching ESPN. They can't wait to hear their name called and then they're going to be left out. They're going to be mad. They're going to be upset about it. March Madness is a big, important, awesome thing that many people love, but yet many people don't. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the only way people can be reconciled to God. And He does that despite of who we are, out of His love and kindness toward us. Anybody in this room can go to heaven. Anybody in the world can go to heaven. Anybody in the world can call God a friend and be a friend of God. But it is only through Jesus. If you believe that, you love Him. You got up today. You wanted to be here. But if you don't believe that, then everything that, that, that a church may think or feel is a little bit different to you. Now, you, you might turn it into something else, but if you're going to go by the Bible, then the Bible is going to tell you you are on the wrong side of eternity. You're on the wrong side of the judge of all creation. You're on the wrong side of the king. And that is not the right place to be. Today, I hope more than ever, you'll put your heart and mind and thought toward this. That you would wait no longer to commit yourself to Christ. That you would establish here today, March 15th, 2015, that you want to be a person of God. You want to be a man of God. You want to be a godly woman. You want to be one who says, I want to do my very best in life, and doing my best in life can only reach the levels I want it to through the grace and power of God at work within me. You want to be forgiven of your sins. You would admit today that you are not perfect and that you have sinned against God and that you are thrilled to know that God will forgive you of your sins. 1 Peter is going to present this to us. That Jesus is the focus of all creation in history. And what side you're on makes all the difference. Read with me if you will at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are black pew Bibles there in front of you. It's page 1113. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter wants us to see Christ as the one, and he wants us to know that we are close to him. Let's walk through this passage starting at verse 4. Peter says, as you come to him, Peter is expecting that God's children will come to him. Peter is expecting that God's children are on their way moving toward Christ. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, as you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And in, very, in a very real sense, a practical sense, this is the day in and day out life living of a Christian. Tomorrow, I want to draw close to God. This week, I want to grow in my faith. Peter says, as you come to Him. And he says, as you come to Him, in light of following after that what I preached on last week in the first three verses, saying, put away all this sinfulness. Put away the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, and the slander. He, he, just, he talks uh, bluntly to them about these things that are in your life. And we talked about how they were mostly speech things towards other Christians. The way that we talk about churches, the way that we talk about Christians, the way that we talk about God. Those things are wrong. Put it away. He gives them a strong talk. He says, put it away. It's time for you to grow up into maturity. And he expects that they're going to say, you're right, Peter. So in verse 4, he says, now, now that you're coming to him, now that you've put away sinfulness, put away your filthy speech, and you're coming to Jesus, let's go. That's what he says, as you come to Him. And then, like I said earlier, he qualifies the Him. He's talking about Jesus. Look what he says. A living stone. It's interesting that he would say that. Because many of the people that he's talking to, Peter is a Jew. And, and many of the Jews were very much so good religious people. They, they knew the Old Testament, they knew the laws of God, and they were working hard in their own strength to obey those laws. But the Old Testament also, along with the New Testament, both teach us, while it is a good effort and desire to do that, that is not what saves you. Keeping the Ten Commandments will not save me or you or anybody. The Ten Commandments are, an, are a model that show us what holiness looks like. Yet when you and I look at that, we see that we have disobeyed them. None of us have kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. And we are reminded that we need forgiveness. We need a Savior. And we should look to Jesus for that. Their Jewish system is a big, nice, established religion. It has a temple. It has leaders. There are ranks. All of that. So when he calls... Jesus a stone, in many ways it could be a dull, you know, kind of uh, doesn't seem very significant label 
to call Jesus. But to a Jewish person, they would be thinking, oh, there's stone, this matters, building, significance. But he calls him a living stone. Jesus is alive. He is God. He is important in the building up of all religion, yet he's a living stone. And look what he says about the living stone. He's rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. And I don't want us to just glance over this. This verse is telling us that this Jesus that we are here to worship today, this Jesus that we call our Lord and Savior, has, is, is viewed by some people differently than the way God views Him. Do you know here today that God has opinions? Do you know here today that God has judgments, views on certain things and on people? God looks at His Son Jesus and sees Him as beautiful, sees Him as magnificent, sees Him as holy, sees Him as perfect. The Bible says many times that God is pleased with His Son. Pleased with His Son. God looks at the Lord Jesus and thinks, that's my man. That's me. That's, that's me in the flesh. That's God made into a human, and God loves it. Peter is reminding us this. It says, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. But he tells us that some people don't. They reject him. And you know this, how this goes, right? If you think that somebody is ugly... You might say it when they're not around. I hope you don't, but you might. But if you're in front of their husband or their mama, you're not going to say it because you know they think differently. You might say it when nobody's around, but you're not going to say it in front of their husband or in front of their mama that she's ugly because they have an opinion that they don't think that she's ugly. And you don't want to clash those opinions. Well, here Peter says that Jesus is the stone. He's the living stone. And while God views Him as chosen and precious, some people do not. We sing songs that He died on the cross for our sins. And we love that. I find myself raising my hands, singing loudly. I find myself connecting with those truths. I realize that it, were it not for the death of Jesus, I will not be right with God. I will perish in my sins. It's the only hope for anybody, especially me. And some people totally disagree. Some people don't believe that. Some people say no. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying as you come to Him, now you should, and He's a living stone, you're coming to Him, He's rejected by some people. But in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. Verse 5, he comes back. You yourselves like living stones. Now look here. He's already called Jesus the living stone, and now he says, now you are living stones. The Bible does this time and time again. The Bible calls the children of God small examples of what Jesus is. It is a true message of God's Word that the people that come to Him are to be made more and more into the likeness of God. We are to reflect Him. 
If God is gracious towards sinners, then we, His church, Christian people, should be gracious towards sinners. If God is patient with people who do not believe, then we should be patient toward people who do not believe. If God is merciful toward people who go against God, then we should be merciful toward people who go against God. The idea that we are to be rude or obnoxious or overbearing or judgmental or haughty or think that we are better than is not a message of God. It's not how God is. That is not how God is. Here it says, He's the living stone. He says, you yourselves like living stones. You may remember in Antioch, I think maybe Acts chapter 20, it says that for the very first time ever in the history of the world, they called the people uh, that followed Jesus Christians. There was never that word before. Christians came out of nowhere. And if you're not too smart, the beginning of the word Christian is Christ. These people followed Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, they went. They learned how Jesus talked. They learned how Jesus prayed. They learned how Jesus dealt with hungry people. They learned how Jesus de dealt with those in prison. They learned how Jesus dealt with prostitutes. They learned how Jesus dealt with people whose lives looked to be dirty and shady and backward. And, and, and He was teaching them, learn from Me. Be like this. And as the world observed the people who followed Christ at the time, they were called followers of the way, believers of the way. They, in Antioch, it was the first town, say, like, we're going to start calling the people Christians. You ever heard somebody say, Fairdalians? We're Fairdalians. Some of y'all try not to claim it. Proud to be a Fairdalian. We are people of Fairdale. Christians are people of Christ. I want to be a Christian. I want you to hold me to that standard. If I ever look like I don't believe and love Jesus, by all means, tell me. It's how churches are supposed to be. It's how Christians are supposed to be. Peter here says, you like living stones. He's a living stone. We're living stones. But look what he says. We're being built up as a spiritual house. Spiritual house. What we are is spiritual. We're not trying to, to build an, an empire here on earth. We're not trying to live that what we're building looks awesome here. Our home is in heaven. Our king's kingdom is not of this world. Our king, our leader, our master is not here with us. The Bible says he's already there. He is seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, our aim and our focus and our desires and our goals and our treasures are not right here. This is why it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. This is why the person who loses his life for Jesus' sake will gain it. Because the gain is later. It's not right now. Living stones being built up as a spiritual house. What God is doing in the world is He's not taking buildings, He's not taking structures, He's not taking programs, He's taking people. He's turning people that were dead stones into living stones. And He's taking the living stones and He's building them one on top of the other. And next thing you know, the kingdom of God, 
The people of God. The church of Jesus Christ worldwide is being built up. But it's not bricks and buildings. It's a spiritual thing. I love to remind our church, it was probably five years ago that I stood up here embarrassed and ashamed that there wasn't one person, not a student, not a coach, not a teacher, nobody from Fairdale High School, none involved with this church. It was embarrassing. It was a shame. Churches should be lighthouses in the community, world changers, difference makers. We should be loving, serving. Our attitude should be, hey, what can we do to help? And praise God that today, three Fairdale High School students, one recently graduated, baptized. God is building a spiritual house even right here. We don't need to go build a new building. We don't need to knock down the forest and try to build uh, something else here to let people know God's doing something. Anybody can do that if you have enough money. But God is building something spiritual here. God is. I had a man in the hospital this week call me and say, Hey man, I'm in the hospital but not doing good, but I listened to your sermon and I loved it. It's awesome y'all have got your sermons online and even when I'm in the hospital, I can still listen to them. God is doing something. God is working in people's hearts. God is taking people dead in their sins, indifferent to Jesus, making them alive, a living stone, and then He's building them. Some of y'all are here today simply because somebody else invited you to come. And the person that invited you to come used to not come. But somebody invited them to come. God is building, spiritually speaking, building something in the world. And Peter is reminding them this into a spiritual house. Then he keeps going and he says, to be a holy priesthood. This is awesome. Peter's not talking to the leaders, Peter's not talking at all to pastors. A priest and a pastor are different things. I am not a priest in the sense that people may look at me as a priest. I'm a pastor. I'm the one that you all have called to be the leader of our church. A priest is somebody who goes and talks to God. A prophet... Let me explain real quick. A prophet is somebody that gets a message from God and God says, hey, go tell this to the people. Okay? So Moses went to the mountain. God said, go down there and tell the people the Ten Commandments. Moses says, okay, God. And he comes over to the people and says, hey, listen, God's got a message from you. It's the Ten Commandments. That's what a prophet is. God didn't speak straight to the people. God spoke to the people through the prophet. A priest, somebody goes the other direction. All right, y'all want to be forgiven of your sins? Are y'all going to repent? Okay, all right, let me go tell God. And the priest comes back over here and says, God, listen, they hate their sins. They need forgiveness. They're crying out to you. God, have mercy on them. That's what a priest does. You know what the New Testament teaches? If you're in Christ, you're a priest. If you're a born-again Christian, you are a priest. Look, a holy priesthood. The living stones are holy priesthood. The living stones, the holy priesthood, are those who come to Him, verse 4. The ones who are coming to Him in verse 4 are the ones who are hypocritical, malice, deceitful, envious, and slanderous in verse 1. 
The ones who are the holy priesthood are like the newborn infants who need the milk that need to grow up in verse 2. They are a holy priesthood. God has made them a people who can talk straight to God. Why can we talk straight to God? Because in the eyes of God, we are pure and holy because of the blood of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and you have repented of your sins, that you in the sight of God are holy and pure and you have been brought to God, you are there. You don't need anybody to go to God and say, hey, can you be gracious to Josh? Hey, Josh is messed up and he really hates that. He didn't mean to do those sins last night. God, would you forgive him? We don't need that. You, as a believer in Jesus, can go straight to God. You are a holy priesthood. This is important to us. We call it the priesthood of the believer. He's saying, I'm going to make you in to a holy priesthood. And look what he says. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know why he says that? Because in the Old Testament, the priest didn't just go and talk to God. The priest also took a sacrifice to God for them. Okay, are y'all, gonna, y'all want to be forgiven of your sins? You want to worship God? Alright, well, what's the sacrifice? Is it a lamb today? Okay, give me a lamb. And then the priest would come and offer that sacrifice on their behalf to God. We don't do that anymore. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. We don't have to. So what He says we do as being priests is we offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We love Him. We obey Him. We serve Him. Some of y'all got here early this morning to help us get ready for things that were going on. That's a spiritual sacrifice to God. Some of y'all are aware of of struggles that are going on in Fairdale uh, with your neighbors and you gladly want to help them out. You want to serve them. Their basement floods with all the rain we're having. You want to go and help them clean it out. They're low on money. You want to give them money. Their family is hurting. You want to go and be there. These are spiritual sacrifices that priests want to do because they have a relationship with God. I hear that you have a need and you're struggling. I think, hey, what can we do? It, 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 it snows like crazy. People are stuck in their houses. Our church starts asking, hey, who needs help? Baseball season is about to start. We call Adam Crawford. We say, hey, can we help get the, the, the baseball field ready? What can we do? These are spiritual sacrifices. Nothing special in and of themselves. But we want to do them because we are priests. We know God. We know that God is pleased in those things. This is what Peter's saying. And he says that God accepts them. Why? Through Jesus Christ. There is no priests. There are no priests. There is no sacrifices. There are no sacrifices. I keep using the wrong subject verb agreement. There are no sacrifices. There are no obediences to God apart from faith in Christ. Verse 6, For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone. He's quoting from Isaiah the prophet. A cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. The prophets predicted that God was going to take one and make Him the central focus point. There was coming a Redeemer Savior. Do you remember when Jesus walked up? Nobody had seen Him. We didn't know about Jesus while He was growing up. It wasn't until He was about 30 years old that He busted on the scene to start His ministry. And John the Baptist had been the forerunner, the, the, the latest prophet to, talk, to tell us about Jesus. And when Jesus walked up, it was like everybody froze. And John the Baptist said, do you see Him? Do you see that man? 
Do you see that one guy right there? That's him. Behold him. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. And listen, folks, nobody else can, nobody else will, nobody else has taken away the sins of the world. Only Jesus. When God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus is the cornerstone for all things true and right and holy and godly and religious. God has placed Him there. God has said He is the one. He is precious in the sight of God. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. I beg you today to believe in Him today. Commit your life to Him. Run from your sins and say, I'm changing starting now. Jesus is the cornerstone, not of all creation, which He is, but today He becomes the cornerstone of my life. Build me up as a spiritual house on the cornerstone that is Jesus. Verse 7 says, So the honor is for you who believe. What a good thing. Listen, I know that the world may have their opinions about us. The world may have their opinions about Christians. I know that there may be people around who don't want us involved. There may be people who think that we're ridiculous. There's a lot of people who think that religion is just a crutch for people who need it. They can say what they want to say. We don't want to fight back. I'm not going to argue with them. But I'll tell you this. According to what God has said, And God's opinion matters to me more than anybody else's. God honors those who believe in His Son. You might have honor from everybody in Fairdale, but not from God, because you have not committed yourself to Christ. Some of the most famous, influential people in the whole world Get honor from everywhere they go. But God does not honor them because they do not know Christ. They don't know the cornerstone. Verse 7 says, the honor is for those who believe. Honored by God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that God would honor us? The main thing is that we would honor God. But it says here that He would honor us. Because He so loves His Son that when one of us loves His Son, He honors that. There's a passage in the Bible, only one, where Stephen is being killed. Acts chapter 7 or so. Stephen is being killed for believing in Jesus. They stoned Stephen to death. And it says that as he's being stoned to death, he looks up and it says, Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Everywhere else in Scripture, Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of God. He is done. There's symbolism with that sitting down. He is done with his work. But when one is faithful unto Jesus, even in the face of death, Jesus stood up. Just like when somebody significant walks in the room, you want to honor them, you stand up. God honors those who love and trust Jesus. But, for those who do not believe, He is the stone that the builders rejected. And He has become the cornerstone. Meaning, the cornerstone that is Jesus, some people reject 
He says again, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Some people stumble over it. Some people are offended by Jesus. If I was to tell some of you all that you're a sinner and you need to repent, some of you get offended. I talked about this a lot this week in our men's and women's Bible study midweek, or maybe it was last week. Hellfire and brimstone preaching, we hate. I don't like it. I don't like a street preacher on L's campus telling the girls walking by in short shorts that they're going to hell. I don't like somebody who stands up with a sign saying all this bad stuff. We don't like hellfire and brimstone. But often, the content of the message is not the problem. Often, we believe the content of the message. It is that it's not the full message. They haven't included the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. They haven't included the kindness of God. Yes, people will go to hell in their sins, but Jesus died so you don't have to. Tell them that. And then also the delivery is just terrible. Angry, judgmental person. Not wanting to have a loving one-on-one conversation. Not wanting to lay down his life to serve the people. He just wants to preach hellfire and brimstone. But it is the message that is often not a really big problem. It's more, it's just, it's not the whole message and it's, and it's the delivery of it, the package it comes in. It's so distasteful. Some people stumble over Jesus. For some of you all, Jesus and church are a problem to you. Some of you all are, are wanting to maybe be Christian but the, the demands of Jesus are asking a lot. Jesus tells us to turn our back on our sins and run toward Him. Jesus tells us to mark off our Sunday mornings for Him. And that, it's a stumbling block for some people. They're offended by Him. Then Peter says something that just takes it to a whole new level. Look what's next. They stumble because they disobey the Word. We knew that Peter was bold, right? Can't get any bolder than this. Here's why you stumble. You don't obey God. You don't obey His Word. Matthew Henry says that disobedient people just don't have a true faith. They may have some right notions. They may be good in many walks of life, but they don't have true faith. True faith is, I abandon all for the sake of gaining Christ. I'm setting my eyes on Jesus. I want to honor Him in everything I do. They stumble because they disobey the Word. They take offense at the Word of God. They think, I don't need somebody to tell me how to do things. They think, I'm, I'm good enough on my own. I don't need a crutch. I can do life well. I'm not wrong. I'm not that bad. I don't sin. I don't need much help. And so they stumble over committing themselves to Christ. The message of Christianity is not for you to be worse at what you do. Perhaps you're here today thinking, well, without Jesus I can be better at what I do. That's not true. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Peter now is saying, you are not the ones who disobey. You are the ones who submit to the Word of God. You are the ones who don't stumble over Jesus. You're not offended by Jesus. You recognize Him as the cornerstone and you have repented of your sins. You have turned yourself toward Him. And, And in that, God is making you a chosen race, meaning that there is one group of people in the world called the people of God. And they have nothing in common except Jesus. I love reminding our church about this. Our church is not trying to be something that has all these commonalities right here in the world or in the community. We don't care about that. Now, Fairdale High School is the closest school to us. We're right here in the community. It's natural for us to be super involved there. But you are more than welcome to be a part of our church if you don't go to Fairdale High School. We want that. Matter of fact, we want people from other schools to be welcome here. If you live outside of Fairdale, you're welcome here. If you're rich, you're welcome here. If you're poor as can be, and you literally only have change to give in the offering, we love that. Come. God doesn't tell us how much to give. He says to give with a cheerful heart. He says to give faithfully. He says to give first. If you're rich, if you're poor, you are welcome here if you trust Christ. No matter what you're like, no matter how much education you have, God is making a race out of people who trust Christ. We have one thing in common here. We love Jesus, and that is such a sweet thing. Some of my dearest friends these days are 60, 62, 65, 70 years old are some of my dearest friends. We don't got much in common. But they love Jesus, and I do too. And that's strong. Then he says again, the priesthood. He says it again. You're a royal priesthood. Folks, we understand that we can go straight to Jesus. Val and I were at this little shop yesterday that sold gifts from all over the world. It was a neat place. I loved it. They had gifts from Ecuador, and they had gifts from Kenya, Africa, and they had gifts from Nepal and Indonesia and China. It was neat. All types of little things. It was one of those fair trade stores, and we loved it. We bought some things. As I was checking out at the counter, there were these little, little dolls that... You could buy a little package of dolls, and it said they're called worry, No Worry Dolls. Had a little description. I said, what's this? She said, you know, I'm not sure. It's these little dolls, and you get them. And um, let, me, let me read. And she starts reading. She says, life is really hard, and worry comes a lot. When you worry, you tell these little dolls your worries, and you put them under your pillow as you sleep, and they'll help your worries go away. That's what she said. And I didn't want to make a comment. I'm not real abrasive, especially in public. And I didn't know if that lady was a Christian or not. But you know what she said? After she said that, she goes, you know what? And she didn't know that I was a preacher or anything. She said, you know what? I think I'd rather tell Jesus than tell these dolls. (laughs) And I thought, amen. When I'm worried, I don't need a doll. But when I'm worried... My worries can be calmed. And I don't need to run and find a priest. I am a priest. You don't need to run and find a priest. You are a priest. You are a royal priesthood. You are a child of the king. There was a man on our street this week. 27-year-old. 
from Cradle High School that died from a drug overdose. And I'm glad that that family knows they didn't need to run and find somebody that could pray for them. You know what you do in that time? You yourself pray to God. And you can. He hears you. He listens. He knows. He answers. He cares. We are a priesthood. You've got something going on? Tell us. We'll go straight to God for you. A holy nation. We hate our sins. We hate our sins. We sin a lot. Community can know that about us. We sin a lot and we hate that. We want to be holy. We ought to be a repentant people, a broken people. We are a people for His own possession. He owns us. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. God has brought us out of darkness and into the light that we may be able to tell people about Him. And to tell what about Him? His excellencies. There are so many things awesome. This week, in our Bible study, we saw in Jude verse 24 that it says that God will present us blameless before His glory. And I brought up that I wish street preachers would say that. That all of your sins can be blameless in the sight of God. I know that sounds good to me and my sins. It's just many of the excellencies. I love to tell people about all of the passages where Jesus dealt with much wayward sinners. I love the passages where Jesus is dealing with people who have been divorced multiple times and showing that Jesus has a, has a love and a way to deal with people who have been through some hardships. I love the passages that show Jesus dealing with greedy, money-hungry people and the way He goes about dealing with them and helping them realize their sins, yet to come to Christ to be forgiven and to know Him. These are the excellencies of God. God makes promises to people and He doesn't let them down. Anybody that has ever truly committed themselves to Christ, as verse seven says or verse 6 says, they were not put to shame and they will not be put to shame. They are better off because of it. We used to be in the dark, but now we're in the light. And not just in the light, we're in the marvelous light. It means we like that light. We like being there. What he means by being in the dark is that we had our lives that were sinful and shameful, and yet we didn't want people to see it. We hide things. You are familiar with sinfulness and worldly people who hide things. The Bible says that when God saves somebody and makes them a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for His own possession, a chosen race, He turns on the light bulb of their lives. I saw a girl in our church tweet last night that I won't let anybody ever look at my phone because I got the craziest, wildest, most messed up stuff in my phone so nobody can ever see it. And if you're a parent of a teenager, you know exactly what she's talking about. We got lock codes and we lay them upside down because on these smartphones now, even if somebody texts you, it pops up. So you got to lay it upside down so nobody even sees the pop-up texts. Listen, when Jesus comes into your life, it is a marvelous light. Boom. There's nothing to hide. I didn't even want a lock code on my phone. There's no texts or stories or pictures or drama hidden from you all. But I realized the lock code is to keep my phone from going off of my pocket. Marvelous light. I got nothing to hide. You find out that we're a sinner? Guess what? We know that. And Jesus has forgiven us of that. That's the message. And then look what He says lastly in verse 10 and we're done. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter appeals to the past and reminds them God has done something in you. And that message is empowering for the future. You can live for God as a royal priesthood because you remember what you used to be and you're not anymore. You remember where you used to be and you're not there anymore. You remember how low you used to be and you're not there anymore. You remember how dark life used to be, but you're not there anymore. You're not necessarily any better, but your soul feels better because you are an open, clear conscience, honest with God and with people. I'm a sinner, yes I am, but forgiven and right in the eyes of God. A living stone like our Savior is a living stone. Matthew Henry says, the best people in the world ought to frequently look back upon what they were in time past. My dad is still driving the same pickup truck that he's been driving as long as I can remember. It's the pickup truck that he drove me to Little League Baseball in. You ever ridden third in a pick, one of those little pickup trucks? Not a, not a big one. One of those real small Toyota pickup trucks. You ever ridden as the third person in there where my dad's stick shift is between my legs? Going to bas- baseball practice? He's still driving that truck. He retired a couple years ago and he was the top guy at the place he worked. There was nobody else higher than him there. The guys that worked underneath him joked all the time that you're the highest person in command, you got the worst car in the parking lot. kept asking my dad, why don't you get something new? Have you seen those new Toyota Tacomas? Have you seen those F-150s? Why don't you get you one of those? One day he said, you know, my dad drove a truck just like this. He never really got another one. I kind of like it that I'm just driving the same old truck that my dad drives. He wasn't thinking about the way I was. He was just looking back. Remember where he came from and wanting where he came from to affect how he is now. If you've forgotten where you came from when you were lost in your sins, not loving God, then you're not aware of how much God has changed you. So you're far from living in the light and proclaiming God's excellencies. But if you're fully aware that God has brought you from somewhere, God has changed you. God is building you up into a spiritual house with everybody else. And you can't get over the fact that the loving grace of God is at work in you. Peter encourages them to be committed to Christ. Worshippers of God. Because of where they were. Because now where God has brought them. May that be the case for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you God for... Your Word that is so rich to us. Jesus is the stone that we all must know. He's the Savior of the world. Father, I pray that today we would know Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.